This morning for our communion talk, I'd love for you to get out a Bible and open it to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And if you're not as familiar with the text, you're using one of the Bibles from our pews. That's page 696. And I want us to, this morning, focus on that text and think about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I would just ask you to start off, what is that story meant to teach us? What's the main reason that that story is included in our Bible? I think some of the time, at least, we treat it like it's mostly there for young people so that they can learn the importance of just general faithfulness in the face of opposition so that when we face persecution, we can respond largely like Daniel did, stand firm in our convictions, and we will, we, and God will take care of us. No matter what we face, we want to stay faithful like Daniel. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with teaching that from that, this particular passage But is that really the main reason that a story like this, a true story like this, would be included in the Bible? This morning I want you to think about how this story, like so many others in the Old Testament, points us to what God was planning in Christ. And so I just want to walk you through Daniel chapter 6, and I want to show you several of the things that compare or contrast with how God's plan was realized through Jesus. And so let's just start at the beginning. At the beginning, we learn about Daniel in verses 4 and 5 that he is a blameless man. Even the people around him who hate him cannot find anything wrong in his life to rightly, righteously convict him of. He is very much like Christ in that way. That even the people around him who hate him and who want to be rid of him can't find anything wrong in his life because he is blameless. He's a man of integrity. And yet he is hated in the story. And we're back to Daniel now. He is hated and he is ultimately sentenced to to death by a group of high-ranking rulers who surround him. It's the same with Jesus, isn't it? That he's ultimately sentenced to death by those who hate him, a group of high-ranking rulers who are around him. In Daniel, the only way that they can convict Daniel is by falsifying a charge that in some way Daniel has been acting against the human ruler of his land. If you look through verses 6 through 13, it's that whole thing where they create a law that nobody can pray to anybody but the king for 30 days, and then they use that law specifically knowing it will convict Daniel. You have to falsify that whole thing in order to make that sound like something went wrong there. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it, in the life of Jesus. In Luke 23, we're told that they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is a king, the Christ. In both cases, what they're doing is saying, This man has done something against the ruler of the land. Back to Daniel. Before he was sent to die, the Bible specifically says that he prayed three times. You see that in chapter 6 and verse 10. Daniel went to his house and three times that day, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, Daniel prayed to his God before he was sentenced to death. What did Christ do on the night that he was crucified? Three times he went away from the disciples and he prayed to his God as he had always done. Back in Daniel, the number 30 plays a significant role in this story. 
in the story of how an innocent man is handed over to be killed. The number 30 plays into this story that it was 30 days, 30 days that they used to betray Daniel into the hands of the king, into the hand of the Persians. Because for 30 days, you're not going to pray to anybody but the king. Well, how does the number 30 play into the betrayal of Jesus? You know that one all too well, don't you? Judas betrayed him for how many pieces of silver? Yeah. And so you start to see the connections that get deeper and deeper and deeper. Interestingly enough, in both stories, the ruler who would finalize his death knew the man to be innocent. Whether you're talking about the king of Persia or you're talking about Pontius Pilate, both knew the innocent man in front of them to be an innocent man. In both cases, the ruler who put the final seal on his doom did so because he believed his hands were tied. The Persian king searched until sundown that day to find a way to save Daniel. You know what the way to save Daniel was? Just to not put him in the lion's den. You're the king. You can do that. (laughs) But he believes his hands are tied because of the way the law is written. And what about Pontius Pilate? What's Pontius Pilate's way of delivering Jesus? Deliver him. Let him go. You can do that. You're the governor. But he believes his hands are tied because of the crowd that surrounds him. In both cases, both men were put into the ground and a stone was rolled over the opening of what was thought to be their final resting place. In Daniel, it says in verse 17 that a stone was rolled over the den of lions, over the mouth of the den. And in Matthew 27, in verse 60, a large stone was rolled over the opening of Jesus' tomb. And then there was night. In both stories, there was night. Daniel spent one night in what would have been his tomb. Jesus spent more than that. But in both cases, as the sun was rising, a stone was rolled away. And a man whom God valued and whom God loved and who loved his God, a righteous man, stood alive in the very place where by all rights he should have been dead. And so in Daniel chapter 6, this is what verse 23 says, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Compare that to these words from Matthew 27 verse 43. The people who mocked Jesus actually said, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. And y'all, that is exactly what happened. (laughs) Three days later, God delivered him. Now, I would love to keep exploring all of these comparisons and especially the contrast with the men who accused Daniel and some of the men who accused Jesus and brought it about that he was put to death. You should think about that a little bit this afternoon, how those are the same and also different. You should just ponder that on your own time. But let's end our exploration of these parallels by looking at the proclamation that is made after each man is saved from death. In Daniel chapter 6, read verses 26 and 27 with me. This is the Persian king speaking. And he says of God, He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
Now compare that, keep looking at that, compare the general thought that the king of Persia expresses to these words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. When Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He delivers and He saves and He saved His servant. And because of that, you should worship this God. And so the story ends with God's servant who was faithful and humble and righteous, now being greatly exalted. Daniel exalted to the right hand of the Persian king, and Jesus exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high. Now again I ask, why do you think that story is in your Bible? What is its main thing it's meant to teach us right there? Is it to stand up in the face of persecution? Yes, that is one thing it's meant to teach us. But y'all, I think that story's there like so many others, to tell us the wonder and the splendor of the story of Jesus. That here is a servant who is faithful to his God, and through that servant, God is going to bring about redemption and good news to so many people. We've been showing the connections between different Old Testament events These historical accounts that we have sometimes called Sunday school stories because we think these are the things you're supposed to teach kids and we have good reason for that, you know, that we should teach these to kids. But we've been showing these these connections between those true stories and communion for the past several weeks. And I hope that you're still finding these connections deeply impressive because what they show us time after time after time is that God was intent on saving us for a long time. And so he was showing us picture after picture after picture to help us understand the gravity, the impact, and the truth of what he has done for us in Jesus. Because God loves us. God loves humans and God loves each human. And he has shown us his love in so many ways that it is not his desire to let any of us fall to the consequences of our own wickedness. He wants each to reach repentance And there is a lion prowling about looking to devour somebody if he gets the chance. But if our faith is in God, and if we, like prayerful Daniel, have the humility to depend on Him, and we have the conviction to serve Him with the whole of our lives, then we too will be saved from the great lion that wishes to destroy us. Because God's done that many times. He did it for Daniel. And He did it for Christ. And through Christ... He'll do that for us. And so this morning as we eat communion, my hope is that we can do so being thankful for Christ. Yes, for Daniel, but more so for Jesus, the blameless one who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to die, but for whom God rolled away the stone and restored his life. What a remarkable, wonderful, loving God we serve who would give us such rich gifts. Let's eat and be grateful for all that we have in Jesus.